0: Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Brian Condello. We as a culture have an obsession with great things. We, we want to know what the greatest is and whether we believe that that's what we deserve or that's what we aspire to, we, we want to know what these things are. What is the greatest? Have I experienced the greatest? Have I gotten close to what the greatest is? And do I even agree with your definition of what the greatest is? And that's why we're always drawn to those things that have the lists, the list of this is the greatest place to go, this is the greatest this or that. Those things we tend to be drawn to. So this past week I did a little research, since we're gonna talk about the greatest this morning, a little research about the greatest things in the world. Now, I went to that highly reliable source, the internet, and I found a few things. And the first thing I went to is I went to ESPN.com and I looked up the greatest sports teams of all times, and they said that uh, it was the 27 Yankees. And I was like, I don't know anything about the 27 Yankees, so I did a little bit more research, and then I come to find out it's the Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> There's not a lot of agreement with that statement. Now. I mean, I grew up in Pittsburgh, and and I can say that because, well, I'm standing up here and you're not, so it's the Pittsburgh Steelers, right? And so then I said, well, let's let's look a little further into that, and I started to type in uh, World's Greatest Car, but what came up was World's Greatest Cartoons, and I thought, that's way more interesting than the World's Greatest Car. So here's the uh, According to TV Guide the greatest cartoons of all time, and do you look at that list and say, yeah, that's the top five? Or would you add things like maybe Rocky and Bullwinkle or the Animaniacs or the Explorer? Whatever it is that you would add to that, you look at that and say, yeah, maybe that's right. Maybe that's not right. Here's, according to the American Film Institute, the top, uh, this is the top six movies of all time. As you look at this, do you say, yeah, there's some movies up there I like? Or immediately, do you think, Oh, well, this movie is way better than any one of those movies. Do you have it in your head? What's better? Rolling Stone came out with the top 100 songs. Here's the top five. You know what's missing from that list, right? Happy birthday. (laughs) Has to be the number one song of all time as far as just every day, every year, all the time, happy birthday. Uh, Books. Top five books of all time, according to... This website that had stuff about books. I don't really know. Um, do you agree with that? You know what the top-selling book of all time is? It's the Bible. Guinness Book of World Records says that from 1815 until now, they estimate 5 billion Bibles have been put in print. Greatest book of all time, according to them. How about this? Something that really matters. Um, candy. Raise your hand if you think Reese's peanut butter Cups are the best candy. Yes. Yes. Okay, thank you. Now, for the rest of you who have other ideas, raise your hand if you're wrong. Because we know that it's Reese's peanut butter cubs are the greatest. Let's do, uh, let's do one more. Greatest presidents in the history of the United States. Our own commander-in-chief, Steve Fowler. On the left there. This was actually a screensaver. <laughs> For some reason. I know, I can you imagine the floss that it takes <laughs> to get? You know how you can go to the church website and you can look at the, the, the podcast of this service and you can get all the sermon slides? So that could be your screensaver too. <laughs> here's the thing though. Here's the thing about internet lists and all of that is that they're debatable. You could have looked at any one of those lists and you could have had your own ideas. They're, they're things that is, it's a matter of your opinion. They show what our biases are. They bring up arguments. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about the debate that surrounded what is the greatest commandment in the law. And the definitive answer that Jesus gives. We're continuing on in our series called Love Handles. About getting a handle on love. And last week, Steve talked to us about the definition of love, but he said, love starts when you embrace your reality in Jesus. And if you were here last week, he made us stand and say these four statements, I am acceptable, I am valuable, I am forgivable, I am capable. Because we will never think other people are valuable until we understand that we are valuable. And we'll never forgive other people until we understand that we have been forgiven. So that lays the foundation for love. We are not going to be good at love until we understand how Jesus loves us. And so that even lays the foundation for where we're going this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 22. Now, the greatest commandment is found in Matthew 22, Mark chapter 12, and Luke chapter 10. But we're going to be in Matthew 22. If you want to grab a Bible from the pew there, it's page 1556. So a group of people come to Jesus and they say, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And then Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus replies, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. The greatest thing we can do is love God with everything in us and love our neighbors like we love ourselves. Now, let me ask you this. What happened in your heart when I read that passage? Now, I didn't necessarily expect that there would be applause and cheers in the room. But did that do anything? Because Jesus says, this is the greatest thing we can do. But I think if we've been around church for a while, we say, yep, heard it. Love, got it. Know where you're going. Heart, okay. (laughs) I heard a pastor uh, years ago say this. We don't always need a deeper understanding of the difficult truths of Scripture We need a deeper understanding and commitment to the simple truths of Scripture. But oftentimes, when we come to church, and if we've been around church for a long time, we want to hear something new. We don't really consider a message deep unless it has something that we've never heard before or, or has an explanation of a Greek word that turns our direction a little bit, you know? And so I'm here to tell you the definition of love in the Greek means. The same thing, love, people, you know, it's kind of the same, but it's one of those simple truths that we've heard again and again and again. Mark Twain says, it ain't the parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me, it's the parts that I do understand. (laughs) Love God and love people. And so we want to dive into that this morning, but we really want to look at what brought Jesus to this point where he said the greatest commandment. Because the attitudes and and the opinions and the questions that people had then are the same attitudes, opinions, and questions that we have now. So we'll do a little bit of history that leads up to this. And we'll start our history lesson in the Old Testament. You see, the nation of Israel was conquered by the Babylonians. The Babylonians came in and and conquered and carried off many of the Jewish people and, and took them further east and... They lived there for a long period of time. Now, eventually, Persia came in and conquered Babylon. And when Persia conquered Babylon, the seat of power moved a little bit to the west, and the people, the Jewish people, eventually started to trickle back towards Jerusalem. And they set up shop there, and they set up a temple there, and they began to worship in the temple there. But they were still under the dominion of the Persians. Well, about 330 years before Jesus was born, this guy rose up to power. His name was Alexander the Great. Um, I don't think that was his given name. I think maybe the great was added later. But if you are a parent, side note, and you're thinking about names for your kids, I think their middle name should be the great. Just know you heard it here first. Anyway, Alexander the Great conquered the world at that time. He conquered the Persians, but he conquered all of the known world. And what that meant was that Greek culture began to invade all of the world. Their ideas on politics and philosophy and religion began to take hold everywhere. And because they were everywhere, it meant that they were beginning to permeate Jewish culture. Greek culture was beginning to permeate Jewish culture. And because of that, two opposing factions, these two groups began to rise up out of Jewish society. Now, one of them, they were Hellenists. They were the Greek lovers. And they were very eager to bring Greek culture and thought into their nation. They wanted to liberalize some of the, the old laws that they'd been living by, and they wanted the new. So they formed a party that was known in the New Testament as the Sadducees. The Sadducees were the Greek lovers, and according to Josephus, the Jewish historian, they were the upper crust of society. They were the aristocrats, economically, socially. They were highly involved in politics, and Jesus has an encounter with them in Matthew 22, starting in verse 23. That same day, Jesus was approached by some Sadducees, religious leaders who say there is no resurrection from the dead. That was one of their big beliefs. There's no resurrection from the dead. They believe that there's no afterlife, that the soul is not immortal, and that there's no punishment or reward for what is done in this life, right? And they were really turning away from this strict interpretation of the law that they had always lived by. They became rationalists. This idea of we don't need all of those rules. If they had one unifying thought, it was this. Just all you need is love. Just be free. Do your thing. Say yes and embrace love. They knew more about what they didn't know and didn't believe than what they did believe. They had more thoughts about what they didn't believe. I I don't know. All we know is love. We really just want to lean in on love. They were, by very definition, liberal, which means this, open to new ideas, open to new behaviors, open to new opinions, willing to discard traditional values. The Sadducees, the the rationalists, the liberals came to Jesus and they tried to trap him with this question about the afterlife. They wanted to show how ridiculous it was. So they said, Jesus, say there was this woman and she married this man, but then he died and she married his brother and then he died and she married another brother and then he died and then she married another brother. And when the real question is, why do these guys keep marrying this woman? Seeing this is a bad pattern to get into, right? But they they carried this on to like seven people and they were like... Well, then when she dies, who is her husband in heaven? And, and Jesus answered that question. But here's what he said. Verse 29. Jesus replied, your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. Here's your problem. You don't know the scriptures. You see, scripture is solid, timeless truth. And you don't get to recreate it, and you don't get to keep what you want and discard what you don't like. You don't get to make it up. He said, you you don't know the scriptures. Because quite honestly, where does this lead? This idea that, you know, there's no afterlife and there's no punishment. And so, you know, there's really all those rules you just need to love. Where does that lead? It leads to disillusionment and hurt and and chaos really because who gets to define what love is where do we even get our definition of love Jesus says you know what your problem is you don't know the scripture now In contrast with the Sadducees, the the relativists, the liberals, there were those who were strong Hebrew nationalists. They wanted to preserve everything according to the old Mosaic order. They resisted foreign influence coming in and changing Jewish ways. They were preserving tradition. This party was actually referred to as, as separatists. They even chose a name for themselves that means to separate. They were the Pharisees. And you know what the Pharisees loved? Pharisees love the law. As opposed to, yes, be free, do what you want. They were like, whoa, wait a minute, hold on, slow down. No, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. Which is a direct quote from Leviticus. <laughs> Don't look that up. Don't look that one up. They love their laws. As a matter of fact, they took the 10 wonderful commandments, and they searched and found 613 commandments. And then to those 613 commandments, they added 1,521 amendments. They had rules for everything in everyday life. And their idea was, the reason was that if we do these things, if we do A, B, C... Double Q, however far they had to go in the alphabet. If we do all of these things according to the law, then God will smile upon us and God will bless us. That was their thinking. So if the Sadducees were the liberals, the Pharisees were the conservatives. You had these two groups that really didn't like each other, that had what they thought were opposing views, and they were really only unified in their dislike for Jesus. The Sadducees, all you need is love. Their philosophy was the same as Outback Steakhouse. No rules, just right. And the Pharisees, they were like, all you need is law. Because we love our rules. How else are we going to know if we're winning by being better than other people? The relativist and the moralist. The liberal and the conservative. I mean, can you imagine living in a society with so much friction between the liberals and the conservatives? (laughs) We've come a long way, haven't we? In verse 36, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, teacher... Of all the commandments, which is the most important? They knew that some thought love was the greatest, and they knew that they thought law was the greatest, and so they came to Jesus, and they were leaning this way, and they said, Jesus, which, which command, which, which law is the greatest? And here's where we find out if Jesus is a liberal or a conservative. Right? If Jesus would have said, well, honor your father and mother and don't commit adultery... He's a conservative. But if Jesus would have said, don't steal and don't bear false witness, which is a way of saying, be generous and don't distort the justice system, he's a liberal. So whatever answer Jesus gives, they're ready to jump on. Jesus doesn't even go to the one of the Ten Commandments. He goes to Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Shema. It's the first verse that Jewish kids memorize. it. said at the beginning of Jewish services. He goes there and then he goes to Leviticus 19. He says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Mark chapter 12 adds all your strength as well. Your heart is, is just this. It's the the mainspring of our thoughts, words, and actions, the center of who you are. It can be described as that part of you that makes those decisions, those desire, desired decisions that shape who you are. That's why it says in Proverbs chapter 4 guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Love God with all of your heart, all of your soul. Your, your emotions and your will, your distinct identity. Sometimes those ter- terms in scripture are used interchangeably. Love God with all of your mind, your understanding, your intellect. Literally, that word means from side to side as a, as a balancing thing, to balance your thinking and conclusions and your thorough reasoning. And then with, with all of your strength, if we add that, it's just your power and force and ability. All of who you are, not half hearted, not lukewarm every bit of you loving God. And we understand that it has to be all of us. We know that love can't just be all emotional. It has to be a choice sometimes. It has to be intellect sometimes, right? Let me give you a hypothetical situation. Let's say, hypothetically, there's this really nice, kind, and gracious husband and pastor who loves his wife dearly. And uh, sometimes this husband and pastor is really tired and falls into bed and just turns the light out and wants to go to sleep when his very loving and gracious and wonderful wife says, did you lock the door? And, I, and he says, <laughs> <coughs> hypothetically speaking, he says, I don't know, did you lock the door? And she says, will you check? now the flesh part of me wants to say you check (laughs) or let them whoever wants to come in they can have it (laughs) like at this point I don't even care right my heart's not in it but I know that love is a choice I know that sometimes it's just intellectual okay I will do that and so I get up and I check the front door And you know, it can't just be all intellectual, because if it's all intellectual, then it's cold, right? Then we never have any great poetry or great love songs. It can't be either of those. It has to be all of who we are. Every bit of us, our heart, our soul, our mind, everything that we have, loving God. It's the first and greatest commandment. Augustine says it this way. You Love God, then do as you please. If we get this one right, Augustine was saying, then pretty much everything else you do in your life is gonna fall in the line. Love God and do as you will, do as you please. And then Jesus adds the second one from Leviticus 19, and love your neighbor as yourself. And really what that means is you meet the needs of your neighbor with all the joy and and force and speed that you would meet your own needs. That you rejoice with them when they get stuff. You don't become envious of them when they get stuff. You try and care for their needs. You try and look out for them. The same way you would look out for yourself. And when Jesus shares the greatest commandment in Luke chapter 10, he follows it up with the story of the Good Samaritan. Who is my neighbor? Anybody that God puts in your path. That's how we are to love our neighbor. Now by saying this, to the Pharisees what he's doing is he's completely redefining the content and the foundation of the law because he's saying it is all founded on love you see the Pharisees they were following the law they were following the rules thinking that that was the way that God was going to smile on them you see God loves us already he doesn't love us because we obey the rules He loves us. He even likes us. That's not why we obey the law. We obey the law out of love, a deep love for Him. You see, love is what the law is after. If you look at the Ten Commandments, love is what the Ten Commandments are after. Love defines what it means to live lawfully. To the Sadducees, sure, you have this, but you don't know the scripture. To the Pharisees, you know all the scripture, you don't love it all. Jesus said, All the law and the prophets hang on these two things. Every book of the Bible hangs on love God and love people. Jesus isn't saying just love. And you don't need the rules. And he's not saying just follow the rules and you don't need to love. Because everything in the law is about love. And you don't know what love is without the law. Everything in the law is founded on love. But you'll never truly know what love is until you know the scriptures, until you know the law. Love is only given definition by the law. Remember when you were teenagers and you had this idea of what love was? And then you got into your 20s and you realized some of those ideas were pretty destructive? We can't make up our own definition of what love is. We have to find it in God's word. And it's not saying this. It's not saying, okay, we, we take the law and, and we take love. And what we want to do is maybe your life is, is, you know, 80% law and 20% love or or 80 20 this way or maybe it's 99 1 maybe i'm not saying okay what we need to do is we need we need to find 50 50 we need to find a perfect balance between law and love what we really need is we need 100% of god's word of his law and we need 100% of love we it's yes and yes to both of those things. Now here's the thing. There's probably some Sadducees in this room. And there's probably some Pharisees in this room. And maybe even closer to the truth, there's probably some Sadducee and Pharisee in your own heart. And so I would say this. To the, to the Pharisee in us, the part of us that values law over love and I'll be honest I can land here I I love the rules I like the rules I like to know I'm winning by being better than other people I can lean on the rules a lot one of the chief things that keeps us from loving is this phrase I am right and you are wrong The Bible says that when you live that way, you're a scoffer. A scoffer literally is one who mocks or ridicules or scorns the belief of another person. Scoffers always show disdain for their opponents rather than graciousness. Scoffers think that by keeping the rules, they gain right standing They think that they're saved by their law-keeping rather than being saved by grace. Scoffers have this rightness of view that makes them feel superior. The Bible doesn't say very nice things about scoffers. Psalm 1 says, don't walk with the wicked, stand with the sinners, or sit with the scoffers. Somewhere along the line, we bought into this lie that If we're really gonna stand by the law, we have to be a jerk about it. When Jesus talked to the Pharisees, he said the most important thing you can do, underlying all of the law, is love. Loving God and loving people, 100%. Now to the Sadducee in us, the part of us that maybe values love over the law, that we think love is more important than the rules. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Four Loves, says this, we live in a culture that has taken the phrase, God is love, and flipped it to say, love is God. And by that, he means this, we use love as the ultimate ideal in society. We excuse bad behavior, we break rules, we bend rules in the name of love. We make very, very bad decisions and then say, because I'm in love. We're afraid to tell other people what they're doing is wrong because that would not be loving. We believe that love demands a total commitment and it supersedes everything. But that's not the case. That's not exactly love. Lewis says this, Love cannot do what it promises to do without the help of God. Love must submit to be a second thing if it wants to accomplish what it desires. All for love is the death warrant for love. If you say love conquers all and it's all about love and I do everything in the name of love, that's not love. That's the death sentence for love. Because love can't be love without the law. Because love has to have a reference point. Sometimes the most loving thing you can say is no. Sometimes the most loving thing you can do is tell someone what they're doing is wrong. Love is not soft. It has a reference point. G.K. Chesterton says, merely having an open mind is nothing. The object of opening the mind, as of opening the mouth, is to shut it again on something solid. Otherwise, it could end up like a city sewer, rejecting nothing. He's saying that's the outcome. If you have no standards, if you have no laws, then then you'll just accept everything and you'll end up like the sewer. Love is not God. God is love. But love is not God. And we have to understand that love has a reference point for, for the Sadducee in us. Maybe we need to learn more scripture. Maybe a good handle for us is, If you find yourself always saying no, watch it, hold up, check yourself, you're not following the rules, if you say no all the time, maybe you lean this way. If you find yourself saying yes, be free, do what you want, yes, 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 all the time, maybe you think this way. Jesus is calling us to not abandon the law, but have it be completely founded in love, 100%. Both of those things. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thanks for your word. Thanks for the truth in your word. And Jesus, thanks for loving us in such an amazing way that allows us to love others. Forgive us for when we value law over love or love over law. And help us to be 100% committed to both. Teach us the wisdom of walking in that way. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at SalemAlliance.org.